Hi, I'm Jennifer Zollett. And I'm Larkin Bell. Welcome to our podcast, A Female Lens. We're back for season two. Thank you for joining us. Yes, we're so excited for this upcoming season. We've talked to so many amazing women. Yes, and we're going to share those episodes with you over the next few weeks. Real soon. It's all coming up. Um, And as we've come to season two, Mm -hmm. our AFL family has grown to three. Woo! I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're welcoming our associate producer, Elise Welch. Hi, everybody. Hey, Elise. (laughs) Um, What I love most about Elise is that I call her my pop culture soulmate because we love watching and reading and just critically examining everything. Mm -hmm. So we're super excited to have you on the pod. Um, But yeah, I guess... You always recommend the best podcasts and pop culture to me and to, <laughs> yeah. and to Larkin. Yeah. Wow. Um, and so I guess, what do you love most about podcasts and kind of women in film, like the intersection mm. between those, I guess? That's a great question. Um, and I thank you. I'm so excited to be joining you guys and um, to be able to help and support in various ways. I've, I was a fan before, um, and I have, yes, I have been a fan of many, many podcasts and also film and also women in various industries and that whole um, arena of uh, Just women, social women justice. everywhere. Just women. I love women. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I, I got really into podcasts originally um, as a way to stay sane during commuting in Los Angeles. Um, but I also really pr- loved how it's a way to learn and or be entertained while you're multitasking, which I know is not great, but I love doing because I'm busy. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so I kind of, you know, slowly delved into more and more, uh, types of podcasts and I really enjoy the ones that are interesting or informative or entertaining in some way, but then also have, um, really, likable personalities hosting or you know leading the show um, because you kind of start to feel like you have all these friends that obviously it's a one-way relationship Um, they don't know you but you've got these really cool personalities in your ears all the time and you get to know them and it becomes kind of this comfort thing that you get to return to all the time Um, and I, I feel like I saw that in in you guys in this show podcast and that was exciting because I also know you and it's fun to support your friends doing projects that are good and I I do care I mean I've been trying to think about how to be more involved in um, promoting just various feminist and intersectional issues that I care about and hopefully everyone should care about and this seems like um kind of a cool niche but relevant to me way of of doing that um because I do enjoy watching films and listening to podcasts um so yeah I think that was a really great way of explaining why um yeah podcasting is such a unique form of connecting with people and something that Lark and I have reflected a lot upon after Mm -hmm. the first season both with the you know people that we got to talk with in person but Mm -hmm. then the people that that listen to those conversations and Mm -hmm. and And sparks new conversations Mm -hmm. from those interviews which is really exciting exactly Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so we're excited to keep the conversation going Mm -hmm. with you (laughs) in the mix we're super pumped yeah me too yay thanks Elise we're back for our first Women in Film in the News segment. For this first segment, we kind of wanted to touch base on just the status of women in film, specifically female directors, uh, for 2019. So, we're, yeah, we're going to discuss an article um, found on Variety, written by Kate Arthur, and it's titled, After Decades of Stagnation, Women Film Directors See Major Gains in Hollywood. And basically, in the article, she interviews uh, numerous female directors and kind of gets their takes and we found what they had to say interesting kind of all across the spectrum and wanted to discuss it yeah so first of all yeah it is exciting 
there have been more mm-hmm. female directors this year. 12, right? There, Yes, so far 12. And when we say more this year, more in terms of the 100 most popular films is top kind of what we're it's talking about. out of the top 100. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so far there have been 12 female directors. And in, last year was yeah. four, correct? Yeah. So, and I think that's yay. where the 4% challenge was born from. So we have surpassed that. Yay! <laughs> 12 is still a very small number. Yes. Could get up to 14 by the end of the year. It's possible. Who knows? <laughs> um, yeah, and this article, I mean, generally, you know, everyone was really positive, and it's sort of this thing of, like, it's been such a, a downer subject because the statistics are so bleak. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was exciting to be like, oh, yeah, look, this, you know, this year there have been there's been some change, and this article, you know, claims a lot of change um but there's still much room to grow yeah yeah one thing that struck me in the article that i wasn't sure of and actually Mm kind of links back to one of our guests from season one is that the eeoc investigation that um the aclu brought the complaint um from female directors in hollywood Mm -hmm. that they weren't the discriminatory hiring practices i believe um that investigation seems to have been stalled a spokesperson for the agency is not commenting on the situation so we don't know where that's going essentially Um, shouts out to Amy Adrian who directed Half the Picture Mm -hmm. who um, basically lays out the whole investigation in the film Mm -hmm. Um, so check that out if you don't know what we're talking about but the article goes on to kind of say that the Harvey Weinstein scandal actually um, brought more change yeah made more progress than this you know, legal investigation, which right. I found fascinating and mind-blowing mm-hmm. and also kind of depressing. Yeah, super depressing. I mean, so the investigation is, or at least our article quotes, um, it's investigating the systemic failure to hire women directors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, yeah, it's like, wait, so <laughs> we know this is happening. This is, you know, protocol for how to p- possibly change that, but then the thing that actually changes it is just revealing how horrendous the system has been and then actually just women generally are deciding to change it themselves which like that's how things happen right um but a bummer that the eoc won't even like answer the calls yeah Um, yeah yeah and one other thing i thought about that we talked about this was um that it's interesting, you know, okay, to say these these 12 female directors this year, like, look, all this change is happening. But something that we've learned from all of the women we've interviewed mm-hmm. is just how long it actually takes to make a film. Oh, yeah. Yeah. like And our own experience. Years, plural. Yeah, and our own experience. Six months for a five-minute uh-huh. short film. So, yeah. yeah. It takes a long time. So it's like, in my mind, it's kind of like, wow, it's so interesting that they all happen to finish and release their films this year, mm-hmm. but they've all been working on these films for a number of years. Um, so there's kind of that in the mix, too, of like, right. okay, well, maybe there were only four last year, but all these women who are releasing these films this year were working on these films last year. Right. And then next year, they might not have a film because they're probably going to be working on a film and it'll be released in a few years. You yeah. know, it's like, it's so slow to make a film um, that it's sort of like, it's just really hard to see the change, even if there is change in some ways. Totally agree. Yeah. One other thing that I really enjoyed reading in the article um, was a quote from Lulu Wong, who mm. directed The Farewell, mm-hmm. which we loved um, when we saw it. And she had this quote, because you go into it with a sense of scarcity and you feel like you're fighting for crumbs, if somebody throws you a crumb, you take it. And she kind of talks about this idea of scarcity going into the project and how she had to like continually check in with herself and to see if she was maintaining her vision, which I feel like really summed up the experience both creatively and personally for a female director where it's mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. it does feel like oh it's it's yeah. scarce there's this lack of you know of female directors right um so if there's an opportunity presented it's like okay gotta take there's yeah. a tightness to it you yeah know? and like okay i'll just sacrifice the other things because like i'm getting this one opportunity and i you know i'll just do whatever i can exactly. to just get that yeah but yeah, and to keep the vision alive, mm-hmm. it's just an added challenge on top of it. Not only to get Completely. hired just for being good at your job, you know, and then to then have that vision to continue on, I feel like, seems right. almost impossible. So Yeah, well, because you have to stand up and, and say, well, I'm not going to sacrifice this, you know. Right. But it might cost you... <laughs> 
greatly. Yeah. It sounds like this is maybe, um, like you said, Larkin, Mm -hmm. this is one year of an improvement in these numbers. We'll have to see if this is a, you know, upward trajectory kind of Of pattern, more long term. And this change has been happening incrementally previous to this year. Right. But maybe this is some kind of turning point where there's more momentum being Mm. created because, you know, one of the things we talk about a lot is representation. So more up and coming female directors are seeing these 12 or so um, success stories and saying, oh, there are different ways to do this. You you don't have to be Mm -hmm. doing it the way that Lulu Wong experienced, hopefully moving Mm -hmm. forward as, you know, every person kind of builds on um, the yeah. success or the, the fight from the mm-hmm. past, I guess. Definitely. Yeah, it's kind of like the I can do this too. Yeah. You know, you see it and you're like, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah I, I could do it. Yeah. No, I think that's that's spot on. Um, and just even going one step beyond that, it's like additionally the films and the stories that are being told by these women are also just representing different things across the board as well so not only are you seeing a woman could direct a film like this but you're also witnessing a story like the farewell that we haven't seen before right you know yeah piggybacking off of that there was a part in the article where some of the female directors were talking about other projects that they had had in the works and basically were given notes about the female characters um and the sense of like there was some complexity or I think, uh, who was it? Uh, Marielle Heller was talking about a character in the diary of a teenage girl who was like, wanted to have sex basically. Mm -hmm. And given notes that like, no one's going to want that. Or like there needs to be a different ending to that story because of how we usually see young girls. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just thought that was so interesting because again, like that's like, there's leaving no room for nuance in these characters. And, um, and it's not about the work in that point. It's about how we're viewing these female characters. Mm-hmm. And that is then a representation of, like, these female directors for the work. Like, I just felt like right. that was... It just felt like a logical fallacy to me mm-hmm. that I feel like male directors don't have to necessarily contend with. Or, you know, male characters are kind of allowed to act really however they want. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was interesting, too. Yeah, definitely. The whole thing of, like oh, well, we don't want to see it because it's a young girl and and we don't see that. Like, that's not how things happen, right? But it's it's a woman who's telling this story of a young girl, so um, I think she might know she a might. thing or two <laughs> she might know. about what yep. it's like, you know, yeah. what it was like to be a young girl versus, like, we've just accepted however white men have been telling stories about young girls mm-hmm. as just the truth and haven't questioned it, really. Yeah, yeah, that blows my mind when I think about that. Uh-huh. Ooh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> There's also the the financial aspect of this, too, mm-hmm. right? Where you have, in the article, they talk about how hard it was um, to get Hustlers made, mm-hmm. among mm-hmm. many other films, of course. And and now it's this huge success at the box office. I think it just crossed $100 million, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like the studios are now seeing, oh these preconceived notions that we had that were based on nothing about Mm -hmm. whether women could create or direct films or lead films and And have the money. Yeah. And make the money. Um, it's, that was just, uh, not a problem. It's like, okay, great. Now we've had all these women, you know, they've, they've made these films. They are successful. They're in the top 100 of the year. So can we move beyond this huge barrier that they're all facing and welcome women to make films? Yeah. Yeah. Um, one last uh, fact that I kind of saw and I didn't realize, but um, in the 2018-2019 television season, 26% of directors were women and 25% of all um, creators were women which is obviously a market difference between film and TV. Um, and basically kind of goes about how goes on about the television industry, how there's a faster turnaround, there's more opportunities and how it's really creating that pipeline for more female directors to get the work and stay in the industry. Um, and I think that's kind of piggybacking off of what Elise, um, Elise's point about just the visibility of them doing the work and people being able to see that and then being able to be rehired and keep going with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, television's just always a little bit ahead of the film game in so many of those areas. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, but I think maybe it goes to the point where it's like, kind of like we said at the beginning, yeah, 12, 12 female directors out of top 100 mm-hmm. films, like, yay, but also very small amount. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not necessarily the number that's the most important at that point. Like, there's progress, and because there's that progress, perhaps other people will see that and be inspired to mm-hmm. also do the work or definitely to create the work or to allow for that work to happen. Right. Yeah. And it's cool to hear about and read about um, in this article and elsewhere how the women who are making these strides are not pulling the ladder up you know, behind them there and, and they're trying to be, or, you know, I don't want to speak for all of them, but there's a sense of inclusivity and Mm -hmm. intersectionality around this so that it's not just women that are being brought into, you know, these opportunities more, it's people of color and it's other marginalized, um, populations and voices that haven't had the opportunity in the past. Um, so I, I think that's just important to, to recognize as well. Yeah. And how exciting is it that we get to go to the theaters this year and see films by women? Like, <laughs> yeah. on just, like, a really basic level. Like, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Completely agree. And now, please enjoy our interview with Christina Cho, writer and director of Nancy, which premiered at Sundance in 2018 in the dramatic competition, where it won the Waldo Salt Best Screenplay Award. Christina is currently developing her next feature film and an original TV series, and recently directed episodes of Hulu's The Act, as well as Jordan Peele's reboot of The Twilight Zone. Enjoy! Well, Christina, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So we always kind of start at the beginning. Um, You've said before that you kind of had a non-direct journey into narrative filmmaking. So we're wondering, how did you become interested in filmmaking, and what was your journey to becoming a filmmaker? Um, You know, I... I think it's non-direct. I'm realizing now, you know, like many years later, um, you know, I think I just didn't, I think I was always attracted to like stories and movies. I would watch movies all the time. And I remember going to like Blockbuster when there was a Blockbuster and like kind of devouring the foreign film and independent film sections. And it was like an escape from, you know, my world, which is like the small town in New Jersey. And, you know, I think... I also like just, you know, growing up did not know anyone that was a filmmaker or even in the business or even like close to the business, like at all. Um, you know, and, and I think being like a child of immigrants who, you know, Korean immigrants who are basically like, you're going to be a doctor, lawyer, right? Um, and so I was, a lot of the battle was just like, you know, no, I don't want to do that. I don't know what I wanted, but I want to like, you know, I sort of like, I feel like I tried all these different things before I ended up in film. Like I, you know, like studied cultural anthropology and, you know, would like interview people. And then it morphed into like doing documentary and then, you know, like eventually got morphed into, you know, like taking a screenwriting class and sort of writing about my life at the time which ended up being a script called guess who's coming for kimchi which is like a comedy (laughs) believe it or not and um anyway so I think I don't know I mean I always wonder about that like oh you know like these dudes that have these like (laughs) stories of like my dad gave me a video camera and I just made all these movies with my brothers you know like I don't relate to that you know, I wish, you know, I think I always have this fantasy of, oh, if my parents were like artists or they knew artists, like I would just kind of figure it out sooner when it takes so long, you know. But on the other side, I'm like, I don't regret that path because I've been able to do like, tr- you know, so many different things and aspects of storytelling, you know, and, um, all of those things, I think, inform, like, the filmmaker that I am now, the person that I am now, and, you know, I don't want to ever be that, like, person that makes films that are about films, you know, or that's my point of reference, you know, so that's, I guess, how I got here, (laughs) in a very roundabout way. 
I'm curious, did you, you said that you were devouring like the independent films and the foreign films. What turned you on to those? Because I feel like that's not like normal fare for like a younger person. Um, I, I, you know, I don't know. Like I think once I found one, you know, like I remember like seeing like Drugstore Cowboy was like, this is like so weird. <laughs> I don't understand. Like, what is this? You know, and sort of like, or like, a, you know, I remember when like the, I don't know, just like different foreign films. Like, I think my mom, I think my mom also like would rent these films because she's like more of the foreign films because she was like a movie buff. And they, I think they used to just all be in the same section. Like, foreign films was also independent films. You know, it was just, like, one section. It was basically everything but, like, blockbuster films, you know? Um, and so I just sort of, like, it, you know, and that was just the same way with, like, books. Like, I, lo- I used to love to read, and I think a lot of it was just, like, escapism from this town that I grew up in that really felt like um, a really homogenous, um, claustrophobic place. And did you end up going to film school or did you just kind of figure it out on your own? What was that, like your training, I guess? Yeah, like? I mean, I went to a really um, liberal arts college that <laughs> like didn't have grades. You just develop your own major and, you know, like was, you know, at that time go- coming at it a very experimental um, uh I guess, like, film back, you know, they didn't really teach traditional narrative films. Um, And then, um, and then basically, like, like, graduated college and then did a bunch of random jobs and sort of got into, like, making making documentary stuff on my own and editing and writing. And then, like, at some point kind of hit a wall, was like, okay, I really want to direct... Um, what I'm writing, you know, but I really don't know how, I don't understand how people do this. Like I still at that point did not have any connections, um, in the industry other than just like, you know, working as like a assistant editor, editor. Um, and so I just sort of decided like, I think I should go to film school. That's what all those dudes do. I should do that. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I just didn't understand, like, how the fuck, how to get from, like, this is my hobby on the weekends, or, you know what I mean? And, and sort of, like, secret passion to, like, how do I do this for real, you know? I think if I hadn't done that, I don't know if, if I would have gotten to the same place. But maybe, I mean, you know, I, I don't, I don't think, and everyone should go to film school. I think that, you know, it just, for me, it was kind of like the only way to get, dive into it. Well, we were really struck by your feature film debut, Nancy, which you wrote and directed, and uh, when we saw it premiere at the Sundance Film Festival in 2018. Can you tell us more about making the film, specifically how you came up with the idea, and what the time and process was like to actually make the film? Yeah, I mean, that was kind of almost a five-year journey from, like, conception to completion. Um, which I was not expecting to be that long. Um, and now it's sort of like, that's actually average for a first feature film. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I guess, I mean, originally I, I sort of like, I really wanted to make a female antihero like character and, um, was inspired by this film that I actually saw in film school called Wanda, um, by Barbara Loden and was sort of like struck by just, I actually initially did not like the film. I, uh, because I did not like that character and was, it was really coming from a place of judgment. I was like so mad at how, like how many bad choices she made. And I didn't understand what I was watching. And then I saw it again was like, Oh, okay. Like I'm just not used to seeing a woman, a female character act like this, like ever. I've never seen that. Even though like, you know, we're shown taxi driver and you know, all these movies where it's, it's the same thing, but it's, you know, 
the, the main character is a man. Um, anyway, so I sort of was inspired by that film and then, um, was also like obsessed with these different imposter stories. And, you know, while I was writing the film, like coincidentally, like found out that my favorite, uh, writing teacher was a fraud. Like it came out that he basically, you know, had lied to the faculty and the students. And, you know, he had told us he was a, like, he told us he was a ghostwriter for all, um, this like huge Hollywood franchise and that he was like a playwright from Ireland was like very, very like charming, you know, look like Jesus. We were all like basically in love with this guy. Like, you know, he was so inspiring and, you know, there'd be like these long wait lists to get in his class. Um, and then it basically came out that he was, had lied about everything and like, you know, lied to his family even. And, you know, and then I just sort of had this thought of like, well, does it, does it really matter if he lied, if what I, what I got out of it and still to this day is like very genuine and, you know, and, and sort of that theme, I think eventually found its way into Nancy of like, doesn't matter if it's a lie, if, you know, the truth is what feels real, you know? Um, and so that's sort of like, <laughs> you know, a roundabout way in a way, uh, journey of how I kind of came up with the idea and and then basically like you know everything else was a lot of the challenges was just trying to get the financing which I can get into but I don't know if that's interesting for people um you know I mean a lot of it's cast contingent or they tell you it's like cast contingent money financing and so you know I um luckily, you know, have found, basically I had a casting director and sort of, they sent me, you know, all these names and I saw Andrea's work, Andrea Riseborough, and was like immediately kind of, I think I knew as soon as I saw like her do all these different roles, it was like, she played Margaret Thatcher and then she played an IRA spy and then, you know, like completely morphed into all these different characters. And and it wasn't actually that skill that I was attracted to. I just thought she was a fucking amazing actress, you know. Um, and, you know, so I just basically was like, you know, we taught, we Skyped, I remember. And it was like, we just got on right away. And, you know, it was just very effortless, you know. Um, and then, like, it was just, like, at least three years after that of begging for money. Um, you know, which is, it's just very, it's very difficult. And now that I have, I have a couple of friends that are in the same position where you just don't know if it's going to ever happen. But you kind of have to, like, try not to think about that. You're just like, okay. You know, and, and long story, I mean, it's basically a long story, but you know, eventually, um, Andrea got involved as like a producer and then she sent it to Barbara Broccoli, who I didn't know who that was at the time, but she's a producer of the James Bond franchise films. Um, amazing supporter of the arts, amazing person, amazing producer. And, um, Andrea was like, so I'm sending the skirt to, you know, this producer, she's amazing. And, I, she didn't tell me who it was. And then like, like very soon after she was like, so Barbara Broccoli says she really loves the script. I'm like, who's, and I like Googled it and I was like, are you kidding? Like, this is, are you sure? Like, this doesn't make sense. Um, and it was like the best yes that I got after like, I don't know, like three or more years of like no's or like passes. Um, and it was, yeah, it was basically like, that was a huge turning point. Um, and then, you know, we ended up shooting like very soon after that. <laughs> I mean, we have other, you know, financiers and supporters as well that have been really great, but, you know, I think that, that one, the first yes, I think is, or first significant yes is, is 
um, the biggest challenge. It's often with financing, no one wants to be the first one, they call it the first one in, first one to put money in. Basically, it's like they don't, no one's, everyone's, everyone's scared, everyone's like, you know. It's also, it was not a easy time. It was like right around the election. Um, I mean, we were looking for money like up until then, but like when we really had to get the film together and, and you know, it was, it was during the election time and after election. And so it was, it was challenging, but yeah, I mean, I think anytime you have a female character, that's not, you know, your conventional type of character, you know, like it's, she's an unreliable narrator in many ways. Like people are not, it's not like, yeah, I want to sign up for that superhero movie, you know, like it's just not, um, yeah. So that was, that was the biggest challenge. Interesting. And I, I feel like I heard you say one time that you almost made the film at one point and then it didn't happen. So did you have other financing almost for that? It was that, that, almost basically yeah the film almost happened like two or three times like really close so you know these are the um I don't know at the time it's like really devastating you're like I'm never gonna recover oh my god and now I'm like oh whatever like so many people go through that especially for their first film but like you don't know that at the time I don't know why like I I'd actually wish that people would I don't know why I just didn't I didn't I thought it was only me this was happening to like oh my god I'm the unluckiest person in the world <laughs> well no one really talks about that part yeah. of the story like everyone's like it got made and yeah. it's like there's so much more well now I hear it oh, yeah. you know what I mean like I hear people but like I don't know it's just not like the sexy story you know I guess of but um yeah I mean that happened it's 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 all sort of like, but I, you know, I also was very, I was very like stubborn and sort of insisted on certain things about the film. Like I'm not going to change the ending and I'm, I want Andrea and, you know, and so I was just, you know, and I think some people would have like compromised certain things. I feel like those two elements were yeah. so crucial. Totally. To yeah. Film. Yeah. I was like, mm, that's the only thing I am sure of. Yeah. yeah. Andrea's Nancy, and it's supposed to end this way. Yeah. You know what I mean? But yeah. yeah, they're very like, you know, and and I think I guess you know some certain things you just have to stick to your guns and and it's a risk and then some things I don't know so we are very fascinated by editing we're kind of editing some small projects of ours and we saw that you brought Nancy to the Sundance editing lab we're wondering if you could tell us about what that lab experience was like and what insight you gained into the editing process at that lab or not right um yeah it was great opportunity and um they host it at the Sundance Mountain Resorts. If you've ever been, it's like in the summer is like beautiful. It's basically paradise. Um, and I, I mean, I had an editing background, so I was like super familiar with sort of the process. Um, and I think that's why I was like open to getting feedback because you know, we were at a point where me and my editor, who's also like a filmmaker that I went to film school with, and he edited my thesis short. So we already had a shorthand. And I knew that at some point, you know, we're going to hit a wall and we need to like start getting, you know, feedback. You know, it's, I think that's always a tricky thing of like figuring out when to open it up. Cause I think, you know, it's also really important to like protect that space, you know, maybe in retrospect, I would say like as long as possible, you know? Um, but you know, at some point and some people never do really like get feedback, but I like to like, you know, with especially like a feature film, like get some sort of idea of like, is this working at all? You know, like, um, and so we showed like a very rough cut, that was like in the chronological order of the script. Um, and like, you know, at that point I knew 
like something you know it was rough it was still rough cut so like I knew it wasn't quite working but I was not really sure um and then like you know you have uh like 15 to 20 advisors that are there for the directing lab really but like then they also and they might have changed how they do it because I think ours was the second year and then they come in like watch you know your cut and like give you notes over dinner which is <laughs> intense it's like I just got off a plane um and and then our our mentor um he was a Oscar winning you know two-time Oscar winning um editor his name was Joe, why am I forgetting his last name? Um, anyway, so, you know, we basically like worked on, it was only like, f I think a week that we were there. So like we, we got our notes and then we basically, you know, kind of based on everyone's notes, it was like, you know, the conclusion of it was sort of like, let's do a version where she's much more innocent and, like there was this whole lie about the baby that we took out, you know, and sort of, um, you know, kind of rewrote. And this is another thing that I've learned from being an editor myself is like editing, you know, can be like rewriting like significantly, you know. So we did it was like a rewrite. We did a rewrite of a very significant thing, <laughs> you know, and like. Um, anyway, I mean, I, it was, it was good to do cause I think I would have done it anyway. Like we, we like eventually, you know, we, we screened it later and was like, you know, this is kind of taking out this main tr like aspect of what the film is and who her character is, is that, yeah, she is unreliable. <laughs> you don't know if you should like believe her or not. And that's sort of the point. And that's the thing that I was like, I can't, I don't want to lose that, um, tension, you know? And so, you know, but we ended up having, we had to sort of recut act one, like a million times, like, you know, basically tried every single version that we could think of so that we knew like what it was, you know, it, it was really like, we're, it was an edit to balance out how much are we going to believe her or not? You know, like if you go too much the other way, you know, there was a whole scene with John Leguizamo that got uh, left out. It was the only scene that we couldn't use, but it was because there was a very, very delicate line of like, okay, how much do we push this into like, you don't, cause there is, you know, maybe not everyone feels this way element of like, you don't know if you should believe her or not. You know what I mean? Yeah. But if you go too far with this sort of like how much lying she's doing or that you witness before, then it's a real like delicate balance. So that was like the main challenge of, of the editing. We found Andrea Riseborough's performance in the film to be incredibly captivating. What was it like working with her? And how did you go from making the jump from directing some non-professional actors in your short films to working with this amazing cast of very seasoned actors and Nancy? Good question. Um, I, yeah, you know, <laughs> uh, Andrea, I mean, like I mentioned before, she was sort of an instant, I instantly gravitated towards her. Um, and you know, she's, she's like an amazing, I mean, I don't know. It's just like, maybe you just know, like, this is like an instinctual thing of like, as far as collaborators, like I, I try to listen to that more and more of like, okay, I feel like this feels right, right away. We, you know, we like talking to each other and like, you know, about whether it's like the script or not, or just regular life. And, um, you know, I think, I think technically like she's just like an extremely good actress, you know? But I think there's also something else about her that's very, you know, like there, the, the other thing that I really knew that I needed was someone that had a level of vulnerability that you can feel on, on the screen, you know, otherwise you would, I think, not trust her from the get go. You know, there were like a few people that people wanted me to cast that um, I was like, you know, as soon as you see that 
actress you're gonna know i don't know they just ha- their vibe is too crazy and if it, it's gonna tip tip the balance yeah. you know in some ways she's like a blank slate you know and she's sort of like able to morph into and you can see it like in her work she can morph into like any person um and it's not just i mean her appearance it's like she would change she like changed her body posture for nancy and her voice and like it was like a actual transformation which i thought was amazing and like we you know like didn't even really talk that much on set like we had already sort of talked throughout whatever the years of sort of you know trying to raise the money and like i think she also just inherently knew who this character was i didn't have to like yeah, that was the great, like, now that I'm, real, like, sort of stepping back on it, I'm like, oh, yeah, it was great. Like, we barely had to talk about it on set. Um, and then the other actors, like, yeah, I mean, I got the dream team. Like, I'm spoiled now. <laughs> I'm like, I got Steve Buscemi, fucking amazing, you know, John Leguizamo, icon, you know. These are all, like, amazing. J. Smith Cameron, amazing. And Dowd. I mean, hello. You know, it's just like, I, I don't know what I did to deserve the, that cast. But, you know, uh, yeah, it's it was like, it was definitely like amazing to work with. And, and to go from like, literally like, you know, every short film that I made, I think almost all of the main characters were always like um, non-professional actors or I don't like that word necessarily but you know didn't have like experience um and so it was such a big leap to go from that to you know veteran actors and so I was kind of intimidated by that and you know I think at the end of the like right away I just sort of realized you know after like doing like the first few scenes I remember it was like with John Leguizamo and I was like, God, they're so fucking good. Like I, you know, like the best thing I can do is like kind of get out of their way. You know what I mean? Like, yes, we've talked about, you know, the character before and like, you know, but a lot of it's just like letting them play. And yeah, maybe every once in a while, like, you know, guiding them or blocking, you know, certain things that are kind of small you know um and so that was sort of like a nice surprise because I was used to like you know with really like less experienced actors like people that have never really acted before you're kind of their acting coach so it's a lot of work (laughs) and I mean you know my mom was in my first short like she's actually a natural but like everyone else (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just a lot more work when it's like someone that, you know, I had a, I had a, you know, dancer, professional dancer who had never acted in one of my shorts, you know, and so that, that's what I was kind of working with, you know, and like, it was just like the raw talent, but like, you know, there is, there is a skill and a craft to it, you know, that you realize when you, yeah, you work with people that are just... I mean, and just being able to like communicate notes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like that's a whole, like, yeah. And for them to take it in and then do it. It's like amazing. Yeah. And there's like, you know, like Steve Buscemi is like, he's a great like actor and person actually, which is, I'm happy to report. (laughs) Um, but like there was a scene where Andrea had, she got really sick and she couldn't complete it. And so we had to do his coverage with like, someone wasn't there like she wasn't there to to act opposite off of him and like so he just you know and it's like I can't even tell when I watch the footage that like I forget that you know he's basically saying his lines to the script supervisor you know who can't act (laughs) you know so it's like that kind of stuff where I'm very like I'm just amazed by what they can do We've talked with a number of women on our podcast about how the statistics of women working in Hollywood just aren't great. Um, We know that. And about how one of the most powerful ways of changing those statistics is by giving a job or an opportunity to a woman when you're in a position of power to do so. 
Nancy had a mostly female crew. What was the process like for you to assemble that crew? You know, it wasn't that hard. Like, I think it was sort of, you know, and this is like, I don't know, two, three years ago now. But um, even then it was sort of like a little, it was like kind of like not that many people were doing it. And um, I thought it would be like really annoying and, and a lot of work, but it was, you know, you just had to make more phone calls, just get more references because the pool is not that big. You know, you want a female sound mixer. Okay. There's only like two, you know, or it's like someone that is not, it need, you know, needs a, like a, a step up, like, oh, the second AC can be the first AC. And like, you know, there are some, some of those instances. I mean, so basically, it, you know, it wasn't that hard, but like, I think also because we were a really small film, you know, I don't know if it's always the, you know, it's also like, I feel like the burden or the sort of, you know, impetus to do this should be on people that actually have the resources to to do it because like you know if it's your first film like you also have to make a balance of like not everyone can be super inexperienced or you're never going to make your day you know and so that was like a challenge to like you know do it like meet this sort of like all female department heads but also like okay I still have to make my days like I still have to make sure that the film is done well and but I mean it's just means like you just have to make some more phone calls and and it's not like a huge deal and I think now you know more people are doing it now those people are like you know they have that credit and they can move on and like you know and sort of it 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 sort of grows you know like you can see that like it does you know I mean, maybe I feel like whatever I did was very tiny, but like I see it, how I've benefited from it, you know, from Ava DuVernay, who, you know, does it with Queen Sugar and all female directors. And that was my first TV gig. And so now, you know, that begets more TV gigs. And so I see like, you know, how important it is to hire. Um, And I'm glad that we did it, you know, and like Zoe, our DP, like ended up shooting Handmaid's Tale after Nancy and... So I think like, you know, at the end of the day, it was all really worth it. And like the vibe on set, like, you know, all the actors noticed the difference. They were like, it's so calm. (laughs) We really like it. Okay, we're going to move on from Nancy. We had a lot of questions. (laughs) Uh, Can you tell us more about Welcome to the DPRK, the fascinating docuseries that you filmed in secret over three trips to North Korea? Um, that was also a long process of, uh, you know, I, I was like fascinated by North Korea for a long time and my family's from the South, but I, we, you know, I grew up with all these stories of like, you know, the Korean war and everyone has crazy stories from the war. It's like, you know, and our, uh, my great uncle and my grandfather were basically captured by the North Korean army and, um, eventually escape, but like there were these very dramatic stories, you know, in my family. And so I was always fascinated by this place and, you know, all the sort of like bizarre, you know, stuff that we know about the place. Um, and, you know, I never really thought I'd be able to go there. <laughs> and then like, you know, I ended up getting this grant from, cause I have a dual citizenship with Canada. I got this grant from Canada and then found this tour company that was like legitimately taking people as tourists to North Korea. And so I just sort of proposed doing this, like, I didn't even know what it was at the time. I think it was like <laughs> the way I think I described it, some sort of like experimental essay film and they they gave money. And so I went and then like, you know, it was kind of ended up being like, a, you know, like a scout, you know, like, okay, I'm just, cause I was too, I was like, I'm not going to film this first time where I'm like, I mean, I was just like really scared to do that and just wanted to like go and experience it and come back, you know? And yeah. <laughs> and then I went there and I was like, Oh my God, it was, I had an amazing time. I, I didn't expect that. I had like, I really bonded with one of my guides, my North Korean guides. And, 
you know, had like kind of a deep experience there and was just like, was welcomed in generally by the North Korean people. And so I was like, oh, this is so not what I expected. I really want to like be able to show this to the world of like, this is my experience as Korean American who was basically welcomed, you know? Um, and so I got another grant and, you know, basically like cobbled together some grants and like went back and then went back with a film school classmate and we filmed while we were there. Um, you know, and we, we just had DSLR cameras we sort of had a system of like capturing stuff and, and yeah, I mean, we just tried to get as much as we could and also be respectful of, you know, what, what you're not supposed to do. And, um, so somehow, you know, and basically had like 20 hours of footage or less and that, project also took all in all five years because I I was like the editor on it in the beginning I mean up until the very end and so I couldn't I just would work on it and then like it just like couldn't crack it it would just sort of stay at this rough cut phase for a long time and then I gave up on it for like two and a half years like while I was working on Nancy and I was like yeah this is Maybe this is one of those failed projects people talk about. <laughs> you know, like I was, I hate, and it's like still to this day, like I hate not finishing something. It, it haunts me like to like, because I, you know, like spent a lot of time trying to make it work. I just remember I was like, eh, I think there's, you know, because uh, filming something covertly means that the footage that you get is very messy and chaotic. Um, so, so much is like, oh, too bad I didn't get that. Too bad I didn't get that. Too bad I didn't get that. You know, and, and I couldn't, and, you know, eventually we put that into the story, you know, but I couldn't, and also I'm in it and I'm a character in it, which I didn't realize at the time. Like, I just cannot be objective about myself. <laughs> Which, why should you be? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's just a weird thing. Yeah. Also, I didn't even want to be in it, you know? I knew I had to tell from my POV, but I didn't want to be in it. I don't like being in front of the camera, but it just, like, had to be the way, you know? Mm-hmm. So that was a big reason why I couldn't finish it, I think. And anyway, long story short, I met someone... <laughs> while I was like knocking on door this is like such a long story um I met someone while I was knocking on doors for Hillary Clinton and she was like a producer at Topic um studios and she was like what are you working on and I told her like all these things and I was like yeah and then there's this project that I don't know like I don't know I have all this footage you know she was like oh send it to us and I did and she like was like basically they gave me the money to like hire an editor to finish it and it became like the four part docuseries like half hour docuseries which was great like I don't I don't think I ever would have finished it if it weren't for them sort of you know and, and I realized like oh yeah I need an editor this whole time um I just didn't I was just being stubborn. I don't know. I mean, I had no money. That's why I forgot. <laughs> yeah, that's important. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, everything <laughs> comes down to yeah. money. As you mentioned, you recently directed an episode of Queen Sugar and The Act and The Twilight Zone. We're wondering what surprised you about directing for TV and how did it differ from directing film? I mean, I don't know if I was that surprised about the difference because I had already shadowed uh, I did a HBO directing fellowship um, a few years ago and you know I, I shadowed like different directors on like um, girls and boardwalk empire and sort of I kind of knew that you're like a director for hire there's all these you know people around you that are giving their input there's you know some degree of politics and so I kind of already knew that um 
and it was just you know and but that's the that's i think the big difference is that it's a it's a more of like a collective of people like you really are just there to direct and i was used to like doing everything like oh I'm writing it you know I could like you know on Nancy I would like cut out lines whenever I wanted to you know and because I wrote the script I could do that you know what I mean but if you're on a tv show you know you have to ask you have to go to the proper chains of like oh you know go to the showrunner or the writer or whatever and just you know talk to them about the script and if you have whatever you know questions or issues um so, you know, that that's the big difference, like on a film that you're or even if you didn't don't write the f film that you're directing, the director is sort of king, you know what I mean? Like you make all the decisions, a lot of them. And then, you know, in TV, you know, the creator, showrunner, you know, they sort of dictate a lot of things. And then the director that that does the pilot. What was your experience like doing um, the shadowing uh, for HBO? I mean, it was great because they paid me. Um, <laughs> that made it great. Yeah. I, I mean, I know not, people no, shadow people for free. Yeah. And I'm like, that's bullshit. But, you know, I, I mean, the whole shadowing thing, I think, I don't know if it's going to become... At least, like, with no guarantee to, to get an episode. Like, I just... I'm starting to feel like that is, uh, like, it's like, is this like diversity bullshit of like, oh, you know, let's, uh, you know, like, it's like, it's not really giving anyone a shot because no one can hire you based on how well you shadow. Yeah. You know what I mean? No one's gonna be like, wow, you really like, were very quiet and didn't eat too much craft services. <laughs> you know, like, how the hell are they gonna know if they should hire you? And... I think, you know, I don't know, the more, because I've done a lot of these diversity programs, the more, I mean, now that I'm out of it, sort of, I, I question it. I mean, even then I questioned it, but, um, but also, yeah, I just think there should be more effective ways of, you know, breaking in, I guess. Like if, if it's going to be under the guise of diversity, and inclusion um it better be like significant like inclusion and not in participation not just like yeah you go yeah like watch. surface level yeah but yeah. also like you t said before like it comes down to money so if money's not part of that then i mean good wishes and ideas are great but so what kind of you know yeah i mean i think people just need to hire more and like give people a chance because like that's what they've been doing for the dudes forever so <laughs> what's the big deal yeah and then they get a second chance and a third chance and a fourth mm -hmm. chance yeah you know um you kind of talked about this a little before but filmmaking is such a collaborative art form what do you look for in fellow collaborators and what has helped you the most in communicating your vision to them well, I used to look for, I think I was more impressed by like someone's credits and resumes and that fancy shit. And then I had a very bad experience with one person um, that I don't want to get into, but basically like he like took over the set and I was just like, this is bullshit. Um, but I didn't really realize it at the time um, as those things usually go. And, you know, now because of that, I think I'm very, like, if I sense a red flag, I'm like done right away. Like, I don't even keep, even if I'm like, I'm in love with your work, I, you know, I just feel like there's too many other talented people that like, A, don't have to be assholes, B, like, I want to like it's like I think a chemistry thing you know it's like kind of like dating like do I like you you know what I mean do I want to like I mean you're especially something that like you know it's one thing if like you're just coming into a tv show and like you're a director for hire you don't choose who you're collaborating with but if you're like making a movie that you've spent years on like I want to have a good time <laughs> 
have not been having good time trying to raise this money and do this and do that. I'm like, when I get to fucking finally direct this thing, I need to have some fun and like, I need to be inspired and I need to like have, you know what I mean? Like a, a mutual, like, I don't know. I just want to be excited by that other person. So like, it's kind of really that for me. It's like, yeah, I want to be inspired by your work, but like, can we have a good time? And do I like you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's funny. It really does come down to that. And I feel like sometimes mm-hmm. we're told like all these other things and it's like, no, you know, in your gut, like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's so many talented people out there. Like, I don't think we have to, you know, oh, well, because that person did this, you know, but he acts like, you know, total dick. Like, I, you don't really need to put up with that. Like, I got really, though, I have to say, like, all my collaborators on Nancy were so awesome that I know I'm spoiled. Like, I know, but I also know, like, I had to go through, like, other not-so-great situations to sort of, A, appreciate it, and also, like, identify the people that I want to work with that are going to bring that energy, you know? Right. But also, it's possible. Yeah, exactly. Even going forward, like, that's still attainable Mm -hmm. again. Oh, yeah. Different people. I'm like, it really is come down to like, do I like you? Yeah. <laughs> I like you that. may be cute, but do I like you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Where do you find your inspiration in between projects? Um, that's a good question because I'm that's where I am right now. I'm like writing a bunch of things and, you know, I think. It's, it's always like a, I don't know, it's a evolving thing of like, I don't know if it, it's something that is definable, you know, to me, like, I think I'm also trying to find inspiration again, having like, I feel like I've been like outputting and a lot, you know, um, and so I'm trying to like block out the noise right now. And that's part of, like, the process, I guess, of, like, finding inspiration. And, yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know, part of it, it's, like, yeah, like, ingesting stuff again. Like, read a book. Doesn't necessarily have to be, like, you know, for research, you know, like, or, you know, I don't know, go to a museum or, you know, I feel like. Um, you know, and just like life experiences and trying to just like get outside of, I think the thing, the the challenging thing about living in LA for me is that everyone's in the business and I really don't want to talk about it like outside of when I have to do it, you know, like I find that very boring. It's like filmmakers who talk about other or reference other films or talk about other films in their films. And I'm like, this is so fucking boring, you know? Um, so I don't know. I mean, I think that's why I also did used to do documentary. Cause it was like such a, there was something like great about like going into a different world or perspective. That's not yours and learning from that. But yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know exactly how to answer that question. Where do I, where do I get inspiration? No, I mean, it makes sense, it, especially working on Nancy for so long. Like, you're just giving and giving and giving, and so then you make it, and then it's, like, this depletion probably. And so, like, how do you refill? Yeah. Yeah. Tell yeah. me. Yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> I feel like, like, yeah, laying low for a while sounds like a good, you know, just, like, rejuvenation, like... Yeah, what you said about, like, living life, like, Mm -hmm. I think that's so important, too, because it's, like, yeah, that's where you've, life is so full of inspiration that, yeah, there's so many stories there, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's easy to forget that, I think, when you're doing the grind. Yeah. You know. Totally. What is your dream project to work on? Yeah, I mean, basically, like, the things that I'm writing right now, I just don't know if I can talk about them. No, that's okay. But yeah, I mean, I have a sci-fi project feature that I'm working on or been working on that's sort of kind of about climate change and the future of food and something that I've been like really fascinated by for a long time. And now that 
you know, climate change is sort of at our doorstep. Yeah, hello. <laughs> it seems like a good time. Um, yeah, and then I'm working on, I guess I'm telling you, but. Uh, <laughs> we, can, we can also take this out. Yeah, if you need us to yeah. take it out. I no, have no idea. Um, okay. I'm. <laughs> I don't know what I'm supposed to say or not say, but um, I'm working on a, on a, basically a TV series about the LA riots. Hmm. So, and then, yeah, I mean, basically, like, if I can make the things that I am creating, you know, on my own, that's, that's the dream. Well, we end every interview with our rapid response segment, three, two, one action. You can basically just answer in like a word or phrase. So we start with three, your favorite, most influential, memorable film that's coming to mind right now. I'm going to say Wanda. Two, dream person you want to work with? Keanu! Call me. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah. who, do, who doesn't? Who doesn't? Yeah. But I have wanted to for decades. You actually have been the first one. <laughs> I was the first one to want Keanu. Just in case you're listening. <laughs> one, best advice you've ever received? Um... Uh, Write what breaks your heart, because what breaks your heart will mend your heart. And that was by my imposter teacher. (laughs) But it's still like the best advice you could get. Action, what are you most looking forward to right now? I'm going to go to Mexico next week. Nice. (laughs) What park? Mexico City and Waka. Have you been? Never. Exciting. Yeah. Wow, I'm trying to live life. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Year of travel. Nice. All right. Where can people follow you on social media? Um. Oh God, I'm so bad at this. I think on Twitter I'm notorious Cho C H O E, and I think that's also my Instagram. Lastly, can people watch Nancy? Is it streaming? Where can they watch it? Uh, you can watch Nancy on iTunes, Amazon Prime. Um, I think all those other canopy and like other things I don't really know about. Awesome. <laughs> cool. Great. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Christina. Thanks for having me. You can find us at afemalelens.com and at afemalelens on Instagram and Twitter. You can email us at afemalelens at gmail.com. And you can download the show anywhere you listen to podcasts and on Apple Podcasts, where we'd love it if you left us a review. Our theme song was composed by Jesse Nelson. Our logos are by Megan Cafferty. This podcast is produced by Jennifer Zollett and Larkin Bell.